Take your Bible and let's begin tonight in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter number 1. While you're turning there, this is just a a little bit of history. Um, I'm trying to think of back when this would have happened. It would have been back in the 19... Late 1920s, I'm guessing early 1930s, there was a man whose name was Walter Weatherman. He went by the name of Barney, and he met a girl named Gwendolyn Irvina Boltz. And he asked her to marry him, and Gwendolyn said yes. And then through the course of time, they had four daughters. Four girls, the oldest was Frida, and then came Marcia, and then Joyce, and their youngest was Joanne. Then in 1963, a guy named Jerry asked Joanne if she would marry him, and Joanne said yes, and they had four children, and the youngest of which is Nikki, and then the next one was Rob, And then the other one before him was Terry, and the eldest and brightest and most handsome (laughs) went by the name of Jeff. And then through the course of time, they had children, and then Jerry and Joanne had some, they had four kids, and then I think they have 12 grandchildren And then, let me try to count here quickly, they have one, two, three, four, five great-grandchildren. And Jerry and Joanne have have five great-grandchildren because Joanne said yes to Jerry and because Gwendolyn said yes to Walter. and, And I don't have really all of the rest of the story. I've seen pictures of my great-grandfather, but never had the opportunity to meet him. And at some point, you know, his wife said yes, and so on. And then a heritage is formed. You know, there there is something that, that my parents are incredibly grateful for. That is something that they didn't fully know would be their heritage, you know, the, the, the product of their union but they are so deeply grateful for their family, which really came as a result of an unknown yes. You know, over the last few Wednesday evenings, we have been addressing this matter of, you know, what happens and what to do, essentially, when God says no And then we address the matter of what to do when God says wait, and then what to do when God says yes. We're not going to veer far off from that themish idea tonight, but we are going to address something that is a variant. And tonight, really, this is the last time that we'll be together in this fashion. Every time we gather, there is some uniqueness about the gathering. But tonight, this is the last time that we'll be together in this fashion because next Wednesday evening, we'll we'll not have a Wednesday evening service. And then um, the the part of Campus Church that's represented through through a lot of PCC college students, you guys will be be heading out to, to places beyond. 
Uh, This Sunday morning we'll have kind of a normal worship service and then Sunday evening we have a really wonderful service planned. It's going to be a special service and we have invited the the men from our ministerial program at Pensacola Christian College to address us on Sunday night. They're the recipients of the Preaching Excellence Award at PCC. So this is, this is one of those last evening times where we're going to be together. So it's going to be unique. There'll never be another gathering just like this. And so tonight we are going to address when we say yes to God. You know, there are oftentimes the considerations of, well, what do I do when God says no? Okay, good question. And those are things that we have to ask and answer. What do we do when God says wait? Okay, that's a whole nother series of processes. And what do we do when God says yes? Okay, those are all wonderful considerations. But have you ever thought about all that, that, that weighs on the, the answer that we actually give to God when God makes some invitation to us? And I suspect that God is on quite a regular basis inviting us to answer his invitation. And we have the option basically to provide one of two answers. Now, I know that God can say wait to us, but you know, when we say wait to God, it is essentially at that moment a no. Now, we may say yes to God and God says, okay, I'm going to begin to or, or wait for what I'm about to do, but, but we really have the option to say either yes or no to God. And how many of you have come to those points, those, those junctures in life where the trail does divide and you're going to choose one of two paths and they cannot both be, be trod on the same moment? You have to make a decision. And, and in your path regarding this, this future journey and all the things that are going to come as a result, you know, we see in families all the time there is something that's going to come. It's not fully known, but we're anticipating something from, from the will you marry me, yes or no. This summer, excuse me, this, this, uh, this past semester, I have done uh, uh, my lion's share of premarital counseling. I have met with a lot of couples over this last semester, premarital counseling. Um, all of them have at this point then completed that counsel that we entered into. And now, very shortly, they're going to stand before people who are gathered and they're going to ask a, or they're going to answer a question, wilt thou have? And then they're going to have to say basically, essentially yes or no. Now, I know that's the final time where that decision, and then someone's going to say, okay, you just said yes, Um, now I, as a minister of the gospel and authorized by God so to do, now pronounce that you are because someone said yes. And now so much story is going to be written. Some of it hard, some of it like incredibly wonderful, but all of it part of the answer to a simple question, yes or no. 
Your Bibles are open right now to a passage of Scripture that we oftentimes look at during the Christmas season, but let's at least use this for our springboard, our jumping off place tonight. Luke chapter 1, let's begin in verse number 30. Now, you can see I'm, I'm jumping in at a place that doesn't give the whole context, but Every time you see people interact with angels throughout Scripture, I mean, there were times in the Old Testament where people fell down as if they were dead. Sometimes the angel had to go and actually touch the person and and do them with some kind of heavenly strength because they just fell down flat before them. Mary is about to have an interactive experience with an angel. And certainly she's afraid. The angel says what angels so often do. Fear not. Don't be afraid. For the angel said unto her, verse 30, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, she asks a reasonable question. How shall this thing be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now listen to this. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. This is when Mary said yes to God, and the angel departed from her. This is the beginning of a journey that had so many unknowns. Now, we know the startling aspect of of what it was that God was delivering to Mary, and then the special messenger, and the angel that says, fear not. All of that is hard for us to fully process, But can you imagine how her mind must have been spinning when the angel says to her, you're going to bear in your womb this child that shall be called the Son of God. And this child is going to rule and reign from the throne of David. This is you, Mary. You are highly favored among women. This is what's going to take place to you. She says, how can this be? I don't know a man. God Almighty is going to do this work. And then her simple, straightforward, not knowing all the future answer was, simply put, yes. Be it unto me. Yes, I agree. Be it unto me, just as you said, according to your word. Uh, you came from God. I'm telling you, tell God, I got his message, and I'm saying to God, and I'm not trying to play with the passage or, or, or extrapolate things that aren't there, but, but her response was, God sent a message to me. Here's my message to God. My answer is yes. I know that God can say no to us, and sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says, you know, okay, here's the yes. But how important it is 
when God comes to us and God says, this is what I have for you, that we respond to God in a Mary-like fashion, be it unto me, just like you said, according to your word, God, this is what you're asking of me. I am saying to you, yes. So what does it mean to say yes to God? Just some, some simple thoughts, brief thoughts tonight. Number one, what does it mean to say yes to God? It means some of the greatest things begin with the simplest things. It means some of the greatest things, those unknown things, those things that you can't fully plan or prepare for, sometimes the greatest things begin with the simplest thing, and that is a simple yes. Now, let me state before we go too far, get too deeply into this, clearly there are some people to whom we should say no and others to whom we should say yes, but when it comes to God, he should receive from us our ready, absolutely, be it unto me according to your word. Now, sometimes that may be faltering. It may be somewhat fearful. It is often unknowing, but still the same. When God asks, we should affirm. When God invites, we say absolutely. When God is the one who brings the matter to us, our answer should be a ready God. Here am I. From a biblical perspective, the scriptures are filled with those who responded with a yes to God. I mean, that, that is the story of the great heroes of the faith. And it is the story of the unknowns of the faith. It's the story of those who are called the followers of God. Moses said yes to confronting Pharaoh. He does so in a hesitant, a somewhat faltering, but he does give the affirmation to, okay, God, I'm stuttering, I'm stammering. I don't know that I'm the right one, but you're asking. And okay, if you'll be with me, I will go. Joshua said yes to the captain of the Lord's host led the people across the flooded Jordan into the land of promise. Abraham went out not knowing. Rahab said yes to God when she hid the spies on her rooftop at the peril of her own life. David is the one who says yes to God when everyone else is cowering behind the thundering voice of the giant. Esther said yes to God. She becomes the instrument God used to bring about the rescue of God's people. The disciples said yes when Jesus invited them to come and follow him. And what is said of the disciples, this simple group of men, it said that these are they, because they said yes, these are they that have turned the world upside down. I wonder in this house tonight, in this room, in this auditorium, I wonder how many times God has approached a person here with some kind of an invitation, and you've said, Lord, you've got to provide a little bit more. And God says, no, no, I'm providing you an opportunity to simply answer me. And the answer is only one of two, yes or no. 
How many of the great stories of the faith have yet to be told because someone in here simply says yes to God? And you might be saying something like, well, listen, pastor, I do sense at times that God is speaking to me, but I'm in my 60s. I'm ready to retire. I mean, I've had this course charted in my life for so long, and I must be mixing up something. I, I must have my spiritual wires crossed because clearly God doesn't send someone like me to the mission field at this age. And and really, God just keeps laying it before you saying, yes or no, yes or no. There are windows of opportunity that are just that. It's the window of opportunity. And I do think that at times when we hesitate and say no to God, that window does close. But a child of God continually has another opportunity. You say, well, it's not the same one. No, that's true, it's not. But it's still the next opportunity. You might be a college senior here tonight, and you'd say, in a couple days, I'm about to march across this platform. I'm going to shake a hand, and I'm going to be done with my college education, and I'm going to be on to the next of the journey that I have been planning for some time. And, And God keeps knocking on your door saying, hey, listen, I have an invitation for you. And there is some RSVP expected And the lack of response is taken as a simple no. If you knew how long and how hard I have worked to get to this point. You you know, the invitation is still, you know, the yes or no answer from God's or to God's invitation Our modern faith stories begin with an answer to God's call to take a certain job or surrender to that field of mission. Sometimes it's the step of faith that that we look back on and we say, wow, somebody dared to stick a shovel in the ground and say, by faith, we're going to build. It's just the, the miraculous modern stories of faith For some, it might be to write the check for the special project of which you are aware. For some, it's to surrender your children to what God may be asking them to do next. To some, it may be to take a lesser paying job because the church is there that God has led you to. And you know, I can go here and make this with no church, or I can go here and make this, and that is the church. You say, come on, does God really ask me to make those kinds of decisions? And the answer is absolutely. And when we start coming before God and saying, God, my answer is yes, we start to find that some of the greatest things begin with the smallest, simplest things. I mean, clearly there's, there's no way that, that a guy named, um, that, that was called Barney, you know, Walter, and Gwendolyn, that there's no way that they could understand the heritage that, that that yes, Gwen, I don't know how they asked, you know, people to marry them back then. Clearly not the same way they do it today. Okay. There's no hidden team that is taking video in the background, you know. 
It's probably Walter and Glenn sitting in the parlor. And, um, you know, well, Glenn, what do you think? (laughs) What do you mean, Walter? You going to marry me? You going to ask me? You know, and (laughs) that kind of deal. And will you marry me? Yes, I will. Okay, and there's the whole story. Well, what happens as a result of that? I mean, heritage, you know. Sometimes the the greatest things, they come from the, the simplest, smallest things. And it's hinged on, for us tonight, a yes to God. I don't know what God is asking you to say yes to today, but I do know that he is asking. God made us relationally driven. So he, he, he motivates us with relationship. And relationship has to be initiated. So someone has to initiate, just like the, the story of my grandparents. Someone has to initiate, will you marry me? Yes, I will. That's the initiation of relationship. It starts with, um, you know, hi, my name's Walter, you know. My name's Gwen. Initiative, a relationship begins. Uh, you probably grew up, if you grew up in church, you probably grew up singing the, the children's song, um, behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. Behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, knock, knock. If any man hear my voice. Okay, so, so the, the passage of Scripture helps us understand there is something relational about God. The passage is really not specifically, it can be, we can extrapolate salvation, but it's really talking to believers. In Revelation 3.20, he simply says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. We'll sup with him and he with me. Do you know what God's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, I am, I am knocking. You have to say yes or no to my initiative. God's initiating the relationship. And now it is simply ours to open the door and say, God, come in. Let's sit down. Let's fellowship together. Let's let's begin this ongoing relationship. The service, our, our service to him, it begins with the yes to salvation. It continues with the yes to our service. Isaiah 6, 8, it's a verse we're not unfamiliar with. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then said I, here am I. Send me. I don't know if the Lord's sending you somewhere, but he may simply be asking, I'm inviting you to. And and yours is the responsibility to respond The second thing I notice about this is a yes to one thing means a no to something else. A yes to one thing does mean a no to something else. You know, I I don't know who else was, was on the radar of Gwendolyn Irvina. I don't know if there were other guys in the hunt, so to speak. But when Walter came up and said, Gwen, will you marry me? What that means now is Gwendolyn's going to have to say, well, hang on just a minute, Barney. Um, You know, I have to process this because there's so-and-so, so-and-so, there's this, 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 this. So you've got all these options. 
She has to come to a conclusion. If I say yes to him, then by nature of the yes, that means I am at that moment saying no to whoever. And you know, when God places some invitation before us, it does mean now, this this necessitates a decision. Yes to God means now no to whatever. So now we start to weigh those things. Like, ooh, Lord, I... Yeah, I'd like to say yes to you, but I want to say yes to you and yes to. And so often God says, listen, if you're going to say yes to me, that means you're going to set this aside. Come and follow me. Have you ever been invited to something, but you'd already accepted another invitation? Or you have two invitations on the table. It does mean I'm going to have to say yes to this, which means I will say no to another. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I'm not going to put all these passages on the screen because there are several and we're just going to jump around. So take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Again, many would be quite familiar with this passage. If you're not, then, then I don't mean to presume upon your knowledge of the narrative here, but for sake of time, we're just going to hit a couple highlights. Daniel chapter 3. If you start with me, look down at verse number one. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Jira in the province of Babylon. Look down at verse number seven. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Some say that this This image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up was some 90 feet tall, overlaid with gold, spectacular. Um, um, Some archaeologists have identified the place where this would have been set up, this wide open area that could literally be seen for miles. So they set it up. When the music starts to play, everybody, I mean everybody said yes to Nebuchadnezzar. You get it, right? Like, Okay, this is what you're going to do. When the music plays, you're going to kneel and worship the image which is pledging your loyalty to me. So they, they said yes to Nebuchadnezzar. And you're already, you know, several steps ahead of me, but, but wait just a minute. There were some people who were bothered that anyone dare. Notice their frustration. Look down at verse number 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, look at the little jab that they give. Certain Jews that you set up, you shouldn't have done that, Nebuchadnezzar, but you did, and they're a problem. And then he goes on and he said, these, these three, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Look down at verse number 15. Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. His face is red. There's steam coming out of his ears. Look at verse number 15. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made? If you do that, he says, fine, well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands. Really what he's saying is God is insufficient for you. Have you ever wondered that same question? Well, God, if I say yes to you, 
wow, this is a big deal, God. My future's riding on this. Any more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's? So, so, Lord, I, I want to say yes to you, but there's a lot riding on this. There certainly was for them. Okay, you're either going to bow down and worship this image, and if you do, fine, but if not, who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? Great question. And they have an answer. Look down at verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king, one way or the other. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said, no way, Nebuchadnezzar. And hey, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, nothing against you, but we've already said yes to God. I have a previous engagement. I already RSVP'd. I'm already with God on this matter. So we're not even careful to answer you about this. They don't huddle up like, guys, what are we going to say to him? The the answer is so ready. Uh, Boy, Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Um, You know, our God, the one that you just said, and who is that God? Nebuchadnezzar, trust me. Our God is able to deliver us. But if he chooses to deliver us a different way, We're going to be delivered from you, and we are not going to bow down and worship the image that has been set up. And what does God do? What's the rest of the story? Well, you know that that they met Jesus in the midst of the burning fire. Why is that? Well, because they said yes to God. There were two faiths that were displayed. The masses... They had faith in the king. They believed, they had faith that if they didn't obey the king, they they would die, they wouldn't be taken care of. They really didn't think too deeply regarding this. They simply chose to obey the king. And then there's the minority, three Hebrew children. They had faith in God. Hebrews references this. Hebrews 11, 33 and into verse 34. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire. How does that happen? It happened because they said yes to God. These young men, because of their yes, understood the necessity of that commitment. And true commitment means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us the circumstances around us, or the consequences before us. They simply had already predetermined, I said yes to God. And saying yes to God means, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, I have to say no to you. The last thing that I'll mention is a yes to God may alter the course of your life. A yes to God, just in full disclosure. (laughs) Like, I'm on a pretty good course right now. I know. A yes to God may alter the course of your life. Saul, who would later become Paul, was on a course that he'd been preparing for all of his life, and it was good. We don't have time to look at the passage, but in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, Saul's breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He has papers. I have what I need. I've got my papers from the the authorities, and I'm going to go out, and let me tell you what I'm going to do to the Christians. And now, the, the person that he is most 
you know, offended by. I mean, it makes his blood boil, this Jesus of Nazareth. He's on this road. He's heading with papers in hand. And all of a sudden, he meets the very one that he has been persecuting. And the one he's been persecuting said, listen, I know something about you. Now remember, he is on a path that he's been preparing for all of his life. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. As touching the law, perfect. He's got his course planned. And then, and then he says, but you know what I know about you, Saul? What you're doing is really hard for you. It's hard for you to, to kick against those things that you know there is something wrong with what I am doing. And, and as soon as he hears this, he says, who are you? I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You know, insert in the Greek, gulp right there. Okay. And, and now Jesus says to Saul, who will certainly later become Paul. He says to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to arise and I want you to go. And you know what's recorded of him? In verse number eight, it says, and Saul arose from the earth and he went. In, in that brief encounter, like this is my plan, this is my life, this is what I'm gonna do. And God interrupts his plan and God says, Saul, it's not working. What you're doing, you know it's not working. And I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And the, the, the course of his life is radically altered. Let me ask you this. Knowing at the end of the whole, the whole journey, if you ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, was that a regrettable yes? I think Paul would say, who for the joy that is set before me? <laughs> oh, man. Wow, to, to, to know about the crown that is set before me? The one that I will see face to face? Oh, the strength that has been mine? The grace that has been sufficient? The fact that I've seen God supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Was it worth it? Do you know, not unlike some who have been asked this question, it's almost as if tonight, we are also being asked in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, the same questions. And he saith unto them, or maybe we would insert, he says unto us, follow me. Follow me. And I'm going to do something wonderful. I'm going to make you fishers of men to those fishermen of the day. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. They said yes to God. And the question is, will you?